Hello and welcome to my Camino, the podcast. I'm Dan Mullins and it's great to have your company. This is a weekly discussion about the Camino de Santiago, a series of paths across Europe. Walkers are pilgrims and their goal is to arrive at the crypt where the remains of Christ's apostle St. James are interred in Santiago de Compostela, St. James under a field of stars. And pilgrims have walked for thousands of years. Well, my guest this week is an American, so that makes three out of the last five weeks I've interviewed Americans, and I think Americans are prepared to open up to tell their stories without editing. And I love hearing the stories of their transformation, their enlightenment, their awakening, their Camino. And I'm a fan of my trusty desk calendar. This week it was a quote from the famous US football coach, Vince Lombardi. He said the man on top of the mountain didn't fall there. Pilgrims know the challenges and obstacles we have to overcome to reach our destination. And I wonder if we wander, mindful of that simple fact, we have to overcome huge challenges and obstacles to reach our destination. Like life. The man on top of the mountain didn't fall there. Well, my guest this week is an American. His name, Joe Williams, and Joe is a storyteller, a journalist. And he wrote to me this week in the course of our correspondence that he's usually the one asking the questions. Well, let's see how we get along swapping roles to talk about his Camino. He's on the line from Oklahoma. Joe Williams, welcome. Well, thank you very much, Dan. It's a pleasure to be part of this. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Hmm. Well, let's see. Where do we start? I've always had a little sense of adventure in me i guess i know when i was a uh, like five years old four or five years old I was playing in the backyard and i'd always climb the fence and escape and go down to the park and slay dragons and have great mm-hmm. you know great adventures in the park <laughs> so my mother decided you know this she did i just can't keep going on because i was just running away from home essentially at five and so she tied a, a, a rope around my waist and tied me to the clothesline and so <laughs> i had this tether on me you know, which just drove me nuts. And so I'd scream bloody murder until, you know, she'd take it off and finally figured out something else. But, yeah, I've always liked to travel. It's always kind of been in my my DNA, if you if you will. Um, you know, the typical, you know, I went through, you know, college and then in the Army. And then after college, I you know went to graduate school. Then after that, I had two boys. They were three and five at the time. And we decided to sell what little we have instead of, you know, going in business or buying a house. And we, 1971, um, we took off and went to Europe and bought a Volks camper and traveled for a year and a half as vagabonds through Europe. And we were originally going to drive overland to your country. Um, but by the time we got to the uh, Iranian border, things were heating up and Russia was going into Afghanistan and it didn't look like the best place to put, you know, two young boys and and my wife so we went back um and found her relatives in italy and um, i ended up working in rome for a year and a half for the daily american newspaper as a journalist and then we left and drove around uh through the pyrenees actually and around through spain and into morocco and lived in morocco and uh, tunisia for about three months and then came home on the yugoslav freighter and uh started the other life <laughs> and so then i've uh, i've been in corporate communications and then in 1985 i started my own management consulting firm 
and all of her work is outside of the state. And I travel around a, a lot of different countries to actually to Sydney. I was actually on the board of the Sydney Conservatory of Music for a couple of years and consulted with them. And we have clients, you know, like that, you know, just all over the country. So it's been been very, very satisfying life. You know, you are a storyteller, and I can tell just by our first few minutes that you love to tell a story. So how did your Camino journey begin? Well, it was a little different. It's, um, I, I went on the Camino on the end of May in 2016, and I first heard of the Camino 19 years before that. Um, Barbara had a little health scare, and they couldn't quite figure out what was wrong with her here in, in Oklahoma. So they sent us down to Texas to a hospital and some specialists down there to look at her x-rays and try and figure it out. So a couple of days of sitting in a waiting room, um, I finally picked up a magazine. I never, I never, first off, I don't like to go to doctor's offices and hospitals anyway, but I certainly don't like to, you know, touch things when I'm there. <laughs> kind of strange about that. But two days in the waiting room was too much. So I picked up this, this travel magazine, I think it was. And there was an article about the community Santiago. And I, I, I just, I've never heard of it before. And I was kind of surprised because I backpacked all across the United States and some in Canada. And I thought I knew about a lot of long trails and so forth, but I was just mesmerized by this. Plus it took my mind off what was going on at the time. And after I finished the article, I made a vow then and there to myself. And I can hear, this is where it gets kind of strange. I made it. I made a deal with God, like I can make a deal with God. But you know, when your when your wife is going through some tests and you don't know what's going to happen, and you know, my mind, you know, thinks, "Oh my gosh, this is going to be the worst," and how you know we're going to get out of this. And so I was kind of desperate, I guess you'd say. So I made a deal, and I said, "God, if you make her okay, I'll do the Camino." And just at that moment, the nurse called me out of the waiting room and said, the doctor's ready, you know, to, for a consult now. And he said, we can't find anything. He said, the, the x-rays that you brought down uh, don't show, you know, what we're finding here. And we've run every test that we can and everything looks okay. And we'll just monitor it. And, you know, thank you very much. Go about your ways and have a great life. And so... I, I thought to myself, I'm, I believe in miracles, but I never believed that a miracle could happen to me. And I don't know how much of it, you know, I don't make more of this than it was. I don't mean to say that, you know, she was cured from an incurable disease. It wasn't that. But I, I, I come back to it and I, I made a deal. I made a promise, you know, to God that I'd do the Camino if he was okay and she was okay. And so I, <laughs> I started backpedaling, you know, <laughs> over the years, I, I said to myself, well, you know, he really didn't intervene. It was something else. And, and I was kind of hoping he'd forget it, <laughs> but it's, it's <laughs> but it's stuck in my mind and it's kind of gnawed at me because I kept saying, okay, I'll do it later. I'll do it later. And you know how those things are, Dan, I just later never comes and the older I got, I started realizing that one of these days, you know, I'm, I'm going to croak. And if I'm lucky enough to, to go north, you know, to go to the pearly gates, and they're going to say, hey, you remember that promise you made? 
and I wouldn't have kept it. And that bothered me a lot. And I, there's a, he has a lot of reasons to send me south, but I didn't want it to be for that promise. So I did the Camino to fulfill a promise that was 19 years in the making. But also there was kind of a second part of it. I mean, I was wanting to do it not only to fulfill the promise as an obligation, if you will, as a, as a, as a penance, yeah. you know, which a lot of people in history have done the Camino for, yeah, obviously yeah. that was one of the reasons it started, but I wanted to do it as, as a, as a kind of a, as a, a walk of thankfulness, thankfulness for her, for her still being, you know, in my life. So it was, a, it was a walk of graceful thankfulness. If, if I, you know, could, I don't know how else to put it, but there was a part of me too that wanted was missing a little something. It was missing a, a spirit, I guess you'd say. And this is this is where it's kind of hard to for me even to describe. But for a couple of years there, I felt like um, how do I say it? I felt like I was dying. But there was nothing wrong with me. I was perfectly healthy. I've always been very healthy. I, but I, I just felt something inside was kind of eroding, if you will, slowly eroding. And I think it was just my sense of spirit. I mean, I've, I have a great life. I love what I do. I'm very close to my grandkids, um, very involved in their running and their lives and everything. And, you know, nothing's wrong with my life. It wasn't that I was missing something or I was upset with my job. or, But I just kind of felt there was a certain something, a spirit inside myself that was eroding. So it was kind of a, of, of twofold reason. One, to fulfill a promise and to give thanks for her, but also to see if I could kind of renew a sense of my spirit. Do you have a strong Christian faith, Joe? Yes, and I'm Catholic. Um, I am, I'm probably very, very left-wing Catholic. Um but I am, yeah, I'm Catholic. We practice. Um, I have a lot of disagreements with Catholicism, um, but I, I, I am Catholic, and I believe in, in the Catholic tenets. But I am not what you'd call, you know, very, very far right in terms of um, adherence to a lot of things. And so I, um, I'm, I'm spiritual, and I'm religious, and you know, I understand, I read a lot about St. James, and, and, you know, I know that there is a certain legend, and there are certain facts, and there are certain myths to it all. I understand that. Um, but yes, part, of the, part of, the, of the Camino experience for me was this combination of religious experience and, and spiritual experience as well. Yeah. So there was, there, was the, there was the aspect of that, and then how do you not walk in the footsteps of St. James and the footsteps of James Michener <laughs> yeah. in the footsteps of thousands and thousands of other pilgrims in the history of this world since, you know, 800. How do you not walk in their footsteps and go inside the village churches and the larger cathedrals and the bigger cities and not have some sense of spiritual or religious connection yeah. to it? That's right. You, you, you write a, a blog, CaminoJoe.com, and I'll talk about that in a little while it, because it's brilliant in, and you're summing up what you are going through while you're on the Camino. But I want to take a step back to before you went. First of all, did you, do you make many vows with God? <laughs> um, 
Um, that was probably the, the, the first vow, you know, I, I, I really made, there's only been a couple of times in my life that I, I was concerned about getting out of a situation. And one of them was, I caught a berth on a, on a 47 foot sloop sailing back from Bermuda where one of our clients was. And we had a, a, a storm with like 30, 30 knot waves, 30 knot winds and about 25 foot swells. And I'm at the helm of this of this sloop, and I was I was I was <laughs> I was a little anxious about getting out of that uh, two day storm, um, and I kind of made a, a small vow then, but I learned to trust in myself at that point. <laughs> but yeah, I've I I don't go around making vows lightly, you know, with, with God, and that was probably the the only really truly prayerful serious you know, contemplative vow that I, that I really made. You know, it's interesting. The reason I ask that is because I wonder if part of that desire for renewal of spirit had something to do with, I mean, that's ridiculous for me to say, but God's impatience with the not keeping the vow, Joe, and you knowing that something is lingering there that is unfulfilled. And the other reason I say that is because a lot of people say, the Camino called me. So do you remember, was it the Camino calling you that there was a realization? Or what was it that prompted you after 19 years? Okay, you said you felt a little bit down in the dumps and you wondered whether or not you should go and do it and now you had the time. But do you remember when that light bulb moment was? Um, well, it was, like I said, that, 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 that promise kind of gnawed at me and it yeah. was about a year before in 2015, it really came back because I, you know, I started reading more about it. And I, I realized then that I had put this off and I kept, how long am I going to continue putting it off? Um, so part of that was, yes, it was kind of like the, 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 the perfect storm of fulfilling the vow and renewing the spirit coming together. Yeah. And it was the right time, kind of the intersection, if you will, and said, look, if I don't do it now, then when, Yeah. you know, it's kind of like when my, I formed my own company when I was 40 years old and I've, I've, I formed that with the feeling that, look, everything I've done in my life has been about every, every 10 years I make a major transition or major transformational move and i was 40 and i thought if i don't start my own firm now i'm probably never going to do it because i'm going to be too comfortable you know with everything yeah and i wanted to do it while i was still in the in the in the process of growing and changing and trying to build something so my my concern really was that um i wanted to I was afraid of getting, how do I say this, um, of, 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 of living a life that was, that was really too comfortable and not going out and doing the things that I could still do and then looking back and, re, and regretting it. Um, there was a, a sign on the Camino you know, there, you, 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 as you've done the Camino a couple of times, you know, there's there's some graffiti under the bridges and there's handwritten signs yeah. on posts and so forth. And there was this handwritten sign on the back of some road sign. 
and it said, very crude, written in there like a magic marker, and it said, die with memories, not dreams. And that was really what little did I know. That's what propelled me because I had this dream of doing the Camino, of fulfilling a promise, of renewing my spirit. And I didn't want to die with a dream. I wanted to make it a memory. Brilliant, brilliant. Now, I talked about Camino Joe, your blog, and you called yourself Don Key Joe T, which I loved as well, <laughs> and the, a man from La Mancha. You said, and this, when I read this to my wife last night, I, I got goosebumps. It was, it's beautiful. You said, walking alone was meditative. It helped me enter the silence and try not to think, but rather feel. Feel the ground beneath me, feel the air, feel the oh-so-pure pain in my leg and ankle, feel the wonderful joy of being alive and healthy and able to walk this path that thousands before me have walked for hundreds of years. It is a humble experience. And you said, I am but one rock on the road to Santiago, but that one rock makes me a small part of the whole. And you wrote, silence is important for me, for it will help me listen to what comes forth. So just talk us through the realization that you wrote about. Tell us about silence. Yeah, I've always, um, I've had kind of gone full circle with silence. I used to be afraid of it um, because, you know, many things, when, when you're talking, you control things. Or when one talks, I don't know about you, I don't mean you, but when we talk, we control the listener. We control our own thoughts. We can control a conversation. Um, but when we listen, you know, we take in, we silence ourselves. We want to be good listeners. We can't do it by talking. We have to, we have to silence mm -hmm. ourselves. So being quiet to me is, is always been when I was younger, at least has been hard because I used to think it's the one who talks is really in control until I realized not really. It's really the one who is silent, who is listening, who's in control. Because if you can listen to somebody and ask them the right questions, and you know this as, a, as an interviewer, that you can figure them out. <laughs> you can essentially get them to play their hand. Yeah. And so you can, under, you can understand the person. You can understand their strengths, their weaknesses, their hopes, their dreams, their fears, their religion, you know, their, their frailties, you know, the, everything about them if you listen and ask the right questions. And so I, I, I do this, this week-long leadership workshop out in the desert in Arizona, and the desert is really where I've learned to be silent. When I was a kid, my grandfather uh, had, a, had some mines out in Arizona, and my dad would send me out there. I was about 14 for the summer and to work in my grandpa's mines. And he lived in this little shack out in the desert. And I really learned there, kind of starting, the importance of silence. And so you'd sit in the desert and listen to the sounds of nature and the coyotes and just the silence was, at first it was scary because I wasn't used to it. I was used to noise. And then, little did I know, but years and years later, the desert silence, the desert song, as I call it, was really coming back to me. And so in the desert, I've learned that a little saying I have, that if I stay here long enough, I'll learn the art of silence. When I've given up words, I'll become what I have to say. And so that's, that's, that's kind of been the underline of this workshop I do in the desert, but it's also been the underline kind of drive and dream of mine is to someday 
give up words. And when I've given up the words, I'll become what it is I have to say. So silence has always been kind of a meditative part of my life. Um, I'm, I, I don't I don't practice meditation as most people think and know of meditation, but I can enter the silence in a, in a busy room, you know, with people talking. It's kind of like shape-shifting in a little bit, kind of weird way. But I've always valued being able to silence myself and quieten the noise around me. And on the Camino, it was a beautiful, beautiful way to, to walk in silence. Um, as you know, anybody who's done the Camino knows this, that you can walk with people, and yet you can still walk individually and be silent. And it's, it's, that's, it's a sound of silence on the Camino where you're just hearing your feet. And in the silence, I think, is where we enter the presence of God, is where we enter the presence of other people. We enter the presence of nature. You know, I, I can't do it if I'm too noisy and busy and my mind's racing constantly. But it's only by being silent that I can quiet myself and try to become closer to the land and to the earth and to whatever it is that is before me. You, you wrote... Each day I try to be present with my thoughts and to spend 15 minutes thinking about only one thing or one person, such as one of my grandchildren. You said, mm-hmm. my goal mm-hmm. is to do this for each member of my family, and I certainly have the time. It's an interesting exercise that I do when I'm walking alone. Often I speak it to the plains of Spain. It seems to have more intention that way. So I want to put it to you, Joe. You weren't on a holiday. You were definitely on a mission, weren't you? <laughs> Gosh, I don't know. I think it sounds like it, doesn't it? Um, (laughs) (laughs) I've always, um, I guess I've always been kind of driven, you know, to things. Um, I've always been a planner. And that's that's the one thing the Camino kind of taught me, though, was, you know, to to accept what was not planned. And, yeah, I guess part of me was on a mission, although... I didn't think of the part about, you know, the grandkids thinking 15 minutes for one person that came kind of in the silence when I was walking and, you know, I was thinking of my family and so forth. And I thought, I wonder if I can just think for 15 minutes of one person, yeah you know, just one person and think of my life with them, think of their life, think of, in the case of my grandkids, in my relationship with, with one of them, uh, the things we've done, but also they're young. And I, I was thinking, I wonder what they're going to do with their lives. What impact will they make? And so I was, you know, dreaming of things in the future of them, too. But I've just tried to devote 15 minutes, which, you know, is, my gosh, it's nothing, just to that. And then, but I wasn't doing you know, then, okay, the next 15 minutes is somebody else. And I'd be, boy, my mind would be tired after that. And so then I'd just enter the silence again and just, you know, let thoughts come to me as they would as I was walking. But over the course of the 30 plus days I did that, you know, I, it was just one little exercise I would I would play with myself. But yeah, maybe I was on a mission and, and didn't realize it. But I, I realized there was times that I would... Um, because I was a planner that I liked to be able to, to know where I was going. And then I learned, look, I'm going to get there. Just, you know, go with the flow, so relax, ease things up a little bit. <laughs> yeah. And that, that's a, that would have been for you a great awakening, wouldn't it? 
Yeah, to trust in in in, yeah. in 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 things instead of I've come always been the one that's responsible for yeah you know for people and getting people places and so forth and so it was kind of nice to you know not be you know the the responsible one. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I interviewed the American travel writer Stacy Whitting about week six, I think, of my Camino the podcast and. She was in mud up to her ankles, and uh, up to her knees, walking in France, and she was sliding down. She couldn't get up. She thought, I'll be stuck here. I'll have to sleep the night. She said, God, do something. And she said, God whispered back, what's the worst that can happen? <laughs> and I, I, I thought that was just such a wonderful example of being able to let go. Yeah. And, and there is a great letting go on the Camino. And my next question, Joe, is I want you to picture yourself in the cathedral in Leon and you you went on the tour. You said it was absolutely mind-blowing, 700 stained glass windows. And you said you started to something feel something happening inside. And it's like all the people who labored to build it over 100 years were standing before <laughs> you. How can it not be, as you wrote, a holy moment? So you'd by then walk the Masetta, and I want to talk about that in a moment. But so even by Leon, so around about halfway, you could feel that unraveling of the soul. Yeah, it was to me the the whole Camino is a is is, is a holy moment. Mm. Um, you know, I think in and I've listened to the podcast that who was it? Bill, I can't remember his last name. And he interviewed you before you were going. You know, on your on your second yeah. Camino, I guess yeah, it was, Bill Bennett, yeah. and also. Yeah, and you were you were using an analogy of uh, I think your your of a painting that a Camino is you know your first Camino was unfinished, mm. and it was like looking you know at a painting, um, and it's to me the Camino is like that it's a mosaic, and and that we are we are we're painting as we go we don't know what the picture is going to be, and every day you know is one brushstroke on it so to speak or one piece of the puzzle one part of the mosaic one part of the photograph. And so I kind of looked on it as, you know, everything that is, it's, it's a part of that. And to me, it's, you know, when, when I met someone, um, that's, that's coming into your life, whether it's for just to be in Camino as they, as they pass you, as you pass them, or it's to be in Camino that leads to days and days of walking with them and relationships that build, over the entire Camino, those are holy moments. Um, and some of those moments, they'll never come again. Um, but they're there, and they stay with us. They become part of us. So we become part of the Camino, and the Camino becomes part of us. Just like I kept thinking you know, earlier what you said about thousands of people have walked the same footsteps I'm walking in. And that is just, um, it's an amazing feeling and contemplation that, my gosh, others have been here before for the same and for different reasons. And that we're all going on the same path in the same direction, but for many different reasons, but for reasons that are all very similar at the same time. So I look on, on these things as kind of, and, and I'm kind of strange about this. I realize I'm, I'm not typical. It just it's just a little holy moment, like at Walmart the other day. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I mean, the cashier. I could tell 
you know, she was having a hard day. And my gosh, how hard that would be. You know, you never, you know, you look up and there are just more people in line yeah. coming at you. And so I just said something. We had a little laugh and I just treated that as just a little holy moment. That's all it was. Yeah, and if, if we can't have the holy moments here and now with what we're doing, then how can we have it in a church or anywhere else? You know, they're, yeah. they're with us constantly. Yeah, that's so true. Oh, I love that. I'm going to steal that. <laughs> I, I, on your blog again, and I keep quoting you because I absolutely loved it. And I was, I was doing my research this week and I thought, oh, this is just so fantastic. It's taking me back. But when you walked the 12 miles from Fromista to Carion de la Condes, you said it was like going through the flat wheat fields of Western Kansas. And I could kind of hear in my head, uh, you know, uh, uh, the, the, the Wizard of Oz, you know, Toto, we're not in Kansas anymore. Is it is it really like Kansas? And then and then would you take a step further, Joe, and tell us about your Maseta? Yeah, well, the, the Maseta, I really look forward to it. You know, you everyone who's done the Camino and has done any research beforehand or read about it, you'll read varying comments about the Maseta. Some love it and some hate it. And, and some of that, of course, depends on, you know, their age and the month they're there and so forth and the weather conditions and everything else. But to me, the Meseta is, is home. Um, Oklahoma is just south of Kansas. And, you know, we're rolling hills, flat land, uh, prairie. In fact, I'm looking out in my back, you know, my yard, so to speak. We yeah. have about 80 acres here. And I'm looking out and there's a, there's a herd of about 17 deer out there right now grazing. And it's flat. <laughs> yeah. You know, so the, the Meseta is it just felt home. It just was comfortable. Um, I like open space. I like big horizons. I don't like to be enclosed where I can't see distances. You know, I just, I'm just, but that's because I'm born in Oklahoma. I'm just part of this landscape and it's just part of me now. So I like horizons and the Meseta, as you, as you know, is, is big horizon. Yeah. And I could look out and see the, the, the wind turbines and of course, this is Don Quixote country, and you know, it lightened up the stories of Cervantes and Don Quixote, and and how he would, you know, his, his what was the story? He would he would want to go and slay the the dragons as he thought they were, you know, until Sancho Pancho said, Don Quixote, those aren't those aren't dragons; they're they're windmills. <laughs> Don Quixote replied, uh, "But where's your sense of adventure, Sancho?" <laughs> <laughs> well, so. So anyway, but yeah, the Meseta was, uh, we had a little rain when I was walking on it. That was the one time I, I remember I was, I was trying to get my poncho on and the wind was blowing and couldn't hardly, I thought I was going to sail off on it. And, um, it was, uh, um, it, it was a, a, a very comfortable walk for me. I mean, I, because I, I, I liked it and that was my territory, a lot of people don't because it's so flat and it's long and it just keeps going. But the nice thing to me about the Meseta was you can see the village rising up in the in the distance and the horizon to meet you. And you can see the spire of the, of the village church. Yeah, yeah. And that was drawing me to it. You know, it was drawing yeah. you to it each time. And that was, that was both comforting and uh, welcoming, you know, sight to see because you knew then that that meant, you know, cerveza and dinner and, and, uh, a, a good night's sleep. Yeah. But 
it was just it was uh, you know it was just the the open plains is that's that was just my country yeah i i love that description you were lucky enough to meet sir albert out in the middle of nowhere he'd set up shop with his eagle and i've actually spoken to a couple of other people but he wasn't there when i was there last you pay a, a euro hold the eagle get your pilgrim passport stamped <laughs> or sword fight the templar knight but you chose the euro really? Where, where, where was yeah. the where was the adventurous Oklahoma retiree in all of this? Come on, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Right, Knights Templar, yes, patrolling the land. Yeah, that was cool. That was very cool. Let's go back. Yeah, my grandkids love that. Yeah, of course, of course. It's a beautiful uh, bird. Let's just go back to pain for a moment. You mentioned leg and ankle uh, uh, just before. Tell us about those troubles, and indeed, Joe, your battle with blisters. Oh, you know, I read, I didn't read through my blog while I was creating it. And um, I, I read it when I got back and I thought, boy, I was sure a whiner. And uh, yeah, I had blisters, you know, but a lot of people had blisters and it was just kind of the ritual. You know, you get a blister and you have to lance it at night and you patch it up and you go on the next day. But this thing on my blog, I was like constantly complaining (laughs) but these blisters (laughs) we even had in one night with some 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 uh, fellow peregrinos that we had a blister comparison night you know and everybody (laughs) popped their shoes and socks off and compared blisters and my gosh i was a wimp you know there were others that were far worse um but and some that were put out of business you know totally put out of business on it um before i left for nine months, I was battling uh, plantar fasciitis, and the my my flight date was always a go no go date because I didn't know if I was going to be able to make it. Um, and I've never had planters before, and I had it where I could re I had a hard time walking. I couldn't train very much in advance. Um, it cleared up about started to clear up three weeks before I left. And I just took a, you know, a, a chance and said, okay, you're going you're gonna to get better and we're going to make this thing work. But I went through, you know, chiropractors and, you know, physical therapists and finally to a podiatrist and inserts for my shoe and everything. And, um, and, but luckily it only flared up once and it went away, thank heavens. Um, but, you know, I just had the typical, you know, leg issues that most people have the first few weeks, especially when you don't have your Camino legs under you. Yeah. Um, you know, but I, I've found that since I used to do a lot of, of backpacking that the, the Camino affects you differently according to your age. I've saw a lot of, you know, people in their thirties or if I would have done the Camino in my twenties or thirties, I could have done it barefoot. <laughs> you know, I mean, I was, I was in shape and, you know, I could have done it in tennis shoes or sandals. Um, and I found that people in their sixties were struggling more than people in their forties and even fifties. Um, especially if they, you know, have not conditioned very much in advance or they didn't know, didn't have the right shoes or they didn't have hiking sticks. So I think a lot of that is kind of age related at the same time. Um, and condition related as, as well. So, you know, and weather related, because if you're getting rain, you're getting bad weather. Some of the shale that you walk on up there going down these hills, you know, is quite slippery. Yeah, yeah, sure. And I yeah. sure hate to do it, even if I was younger without, you know, hiking poles. Yeah, yeah. Did you carry poles then? 
Yeah, I shipped my poles. I I should have just, you know, taken the chance and see if I could have checked them with, you know, taken them on board like I did in my pack. But I made a mistake, and I shipped them along with my, my knife that I've had almost all my life, and they didn't arrive. Instead, the last I heard, they went to Paris. Oh. And so the – the, 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 the odd thing about it is, once I got back home, uh, about 30 days after that, they appeared. They huh? were in the Tulsa airport the whole time. I don't think they ever left. Oh. But I had to get other poles over there, and of course, they weren't as lightweight, and they were a little heavier. But they were poles all the same, and they, they served me well. So let's talk about, you, you mentioned there that you did some training, that you, were, that you had some idea of what you would, would do. But you wrote about what you'd actually read from the solitude to the camaraderie, from the difficulty to the beauty, from the villages to the large cities. This is your research before you went from the small churches to the enormous cathedral, from what happens within and what happens externally. And you say this and more is all true. But would it be fair to say, Joe, that the Camino lived up to expectations? Yeah, um, yeah, it depends on one's expectations, you know, what mm. you're expecting from it. Um, some people I know, they'll, you know, if you have low expectations, then, you know, they might think, well, I have a higher chance of it exceeding those expectations because I didn't go in expecting much. Sure. Um, I kind of had a good expectation. I was a little surprised in in some of the, uh, the terrain issues. I thought there was a little I – th- I thought the guidebook um, distances were off, and I thought that the – there were hills that were steeper than they were made out to be and so forth. And there weren't switchbacks. It was pretty much kind of going straight down. But, um, yeah, I, I expected it to be, you know, a, a kind of a river of um, of people. And I was surprised there really weren't as many. Uh, you could find your space if you wanted to walk individually, you know, by yourself very easily. But there were people, you know, strung out, you know, through the Camino. Um, I met people from 27 countries yeah, and 17 yeah. states, and you know, like you've everyone on your on your podcast talks about it's it's you know there's it's it's the people it's it's the road and the people and and that's what makes it um, the experiences that you know expectations I had was that I was going to meet people from all different walks of life and different countries, experience different uh, cultures, uh, experience different food experience a different road that I've been on before, a different land. So all of those, yes, it, it met the expectations as well as the uh, the small villages, the uh, the, the beautiful uh, architecture of the buildings, especially, you know, the village churches and the cathedrals, um, you know, were just breathtaking. So, yeah, it was um, – it, it met – my expectations and then and then some yeah how do you describe it to people back home perhaps there's someone listening and thinking of walking how do you describe it the camino when people ask you what it's like (laughs) yeah that's good i I think somebody on your on your podcast once said that um, people just need to experience it for themselves yeah it's it's hard to describe um I know when I got back, um, you know, I tried, you know, I, of course, you know, the, had the big family dinner and everybody's interested and you're talking about it and showing them slides and so forth. And they're all, you know, the, the people that are close to me, you know, were living it, you know, as well vicariously. And, 
But I remember I went to a, a, a typical, what you call a cocktail party over here. And, uh, you know, a bunch of friends and acquaintances, um, not really close friends, but people I've known for many years. And somebody said, and it, uh, hey, I understand you, you walked across Spain. And I was standing in a group of about five or six other fellows. And I said, yeah, it was a this pilgrimage. And, and uh, you know, it was 500 miles across Spain, following the footsteps of St. James. And this guy in the group said, well, you know, I, I took a, we took a cruise over there and we, we went to Spain, hated it. You know? <laughs> <laughs> he, he said, you know, it was dusty and dirty and, you know. He started, he started ragging on it, and then he started talking about the cruise ship that he was on. No interest, had zip zero interest in hearing anything about you know me walking five hundred miles. About it all became him, and so, and and I found that when I've tried to talk to people about this, at some point, usually two or three, four minutes, their eyes kind of start to shift <laughs> left and right, and they're looking. <laughs> let's see <laughs> it's kind of like when i talk to kids about my uh, i talk to some people about my grandkids you know they say oh lord here he goes <laughs> but i've had a That's hard fantastic. time i thought more people would be more interested yeah um in it than they are yeah um it's not like you know well i just went on a holiday you know someplace and took a took a, a charter you know or took a, a group tour um, you know, I'm surprised a lot of people, it gets back to listening. A lot of people aren't interested in the other person. They're interested in talking about themselves. Yeah. And so if they're not interested or have an interest at all in the other person or an interest in adventure, an interest in, you know, a pilgrimage or finding out more about it. Now, my close friends are, you know, they're very interested, you know. So, boy, we went over one night and they just wanted to hear everything about it. And, and you know, a couple of them. I, I've since given talks to some organizations and groups about it, and they've been very interested. And a couple of people, you know, want to do it. So I'd say the what do I tell someone who's interested in it is a little different than just telling you know a total stranger about sure. it. But someone who's interested in it is you first know why do you want to go? You know, know your know your purpose at least. Is it just to have an adventure? Or are you? A lot of people, you know, you know this as well, Dan that. A lot of people go on the Camino for well as many reasons as there are individuals, but they're they're leaving. They're they're trying to let go of something. They're leaving a, a job that they're dissatisfied with. Or they're trying to recover from an illness, or they're trying to recover from a divorce, or they're trying to recover from something, or they're trying to go towards something. And so, just know, you know, kind of think, why do you want to do it in the first place? And you know, it's it's a long walk. It's contemplative. You're going to meet other people. It's a sense of adventure. It's very safe. It's going to be very secure. You know, you don't have to carry your own food on your pack, you know, so you don't have a lot of things like that to worry about. Um, but kind of have an idea of why you want to do this in the first place. But then go with a sense of openness and, as they say, trust in the Camino. You know, trusting. You don't have to plan everything. You know, get a good pair of shoes and kind of give give yourself to the Camino. Give yourself to opening yourself to the experience that you're going to have. It's like I've, um, I've, I've, I've taught a couple of college courses in, um, in leadership and strategic planning and thinking. And 
I tell these these young college students that, you know, whatever you're doing now is preparation for what you're going to do later in life. But the thing is, you don't know what you're going to do later in life. You may think you know, but you don't. So whatever you're doing now, do it well. Learn it because it's going to come in to, to play for you later on, 10 years, 20 years from now. And it's the same thing with the Camino before you go. Whatever you're doing is preparation now for your experience on the Camino. Brilliant. I want to hear about you, you arriving in Santiago de Compostela. But first, another piece from your blog. You write, and this is the day before you arrived in Santiago, tomorrow the, the river that is the Camino will deposit me and my fellow peregrinos at the footsteps, or the doorstep rather, of the 900-year-old Cathedral of St. James in Santiago. It took more than 200 years for the cathedral to be built. It will have taken me 34 days to complete my pilgrimage. Each day in itself brings within it an eternity. So tell us about arriving in Santiago de Compostela, Joe. Yeah, that was probably that was probably the piece that I, I wasn't expecting to happen. I, I thought going in, well, as you, as you recall, and everyone who's listened to this has done the Camino knows when you're out in the on, on the Camino from village to village, you can usually see the spire of the church in the distance because the church is typically the largest thing in, in these small villages anyway. But when I, I came into Santiago, you know, you're coming down the hill and suddenly there's this kind of big industrial sprawl before you. And I couldn't, you know, you see some buildings, but I couldn't see the, the cathedral. And once I got into town a little bit, I turned this corner and down the street and in the distance, there was the spire of the cathedral. And I remember I, I said, I better take a picture. This is my first view of the cathedral. I'll take a picture of it just to get a picture now because I know I'm going to get, you know, pictures as I get closer to it. But the rub was I never saw it again until I turned the corner. Yeah. You know, and maybe I took the wrong turn or something coming in, but I – all of a sudden, I turned the corner, and this was, you know, 15, 20 more minutes of walking, and I still couldn't see it. And I'm in the middle of this bustling town, and suddenly I turned the corner, and there's the square, and there's the cathedral. And I, th I thought to myself, my expectations of it were that when I got there, I would sit, you know, I, I would, I would sit down in the in the square, and I'd probably break down some some sort. I'd probably, you know, shed a tear or have an emotional feeling that all of the last, you know, 30, what, 34 days, 32 days, something like that, you know, would just come rushing forward to me and I would see everything, the people and the landscapes would come rushing through my mind like this slideshow. But I got there just before noon and I didn't intend to get there really that, that early because I knew there was mass at 12 yeah. or 1230. Yeah. And then there was another one in the evening. And I thought, well, I'll go to the evening mass. But I got there and I turned the corner and the bells were ringing. And, and there's a little tourist office there uh, adjacent to the cathedral. And they said, well, mass is, is starting up right now. So I, I, I said, well, I'm going to go. <laughs> so I mean, I just got there and I gave him my pack and I went into the church and they were having mass. And at the end of mass, I was very lucky. They, they did the about a fumetero. Fantastic. The incense burner, the swinging of it across the apse. And, of course, that was very moving. And um, 
I went again that night. I went again the next day. <laughs> I went to that. I went to church there like four times. I think every time they had a service, I went. Um, but after the service, then I went around the corner and went into the uh, you know where the Parador Hotel is and and sat there and watched other other peregrinos come in. But I never felt this elation. I never felt what I thought I was going to feel which is I've arrived, I've done it. I thought I would either, you know, melt down or rejoice. One of the two, I thought, but I was, it was just like, okay, I'm here. And I looked around and the bicyclists that were mainly bicycling from Saria had their bikes up over their shoulders and they were, <laughs> they were celebrating like they'd won, you know, the Olympic medal and in a lot of the, of the uh, peregrinos who have just hiked from Saria, you know, the hundred kilometers were celebrating and so forth. Cause they didn't have many packs. You know, you could tell because yeah. theirs was mainly, you know, transported for them. But the, the pilgrims that I was with, we were, we just kind of, we were kind of numb and it only, it only hit us. I stayed there uh, two days and on the, the last night, there was a group of us having dinner, and we were talking about this very subject, Dan. None of them felt, we all felt the same. We all felt that, well, we weren't, in, 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 we weren't elated or, you know, going off the wall, jumping up and down, yeah. you know, and, and, and celebrating, but we, and we, but we weren't also remorseful or in tears. And so we went to the, to the square as a group. There was about six, seven of us. And we all celebrated then because we were kind of back with the, I was back with what we call uh, Monica and Richard, who I met in Zabiri, and they were from us. They're from Australia, and they called they called everybody they met according to when they met them. So we were stage one friends. Right. Okay. <laughs> so, so, so so everything was stage one, and then they said, "Oh, well, that's 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 Jim and Joan. They're stage five friends." You know? <laughs> so, so we had all of us were kind of stage one to stage three friends and then we celebrated and we all jumped up in the air at the same time you know and had our picture taken and kind of shed a tear but we rejoiced and you know over a bottle of wine and and celebrated but it really wasn't until i was on the plane well kind of a, yeah i guess on the plane coming back when it it really kind of hit me you know it then it really sunk in but everybody's different, you know. Yeah. I realize that, and and the, and so it depends on you know the individual. And but a lot of people I talked with, a lot of people I walked with, seemed to have the same feel that when they got there, it wasn't the jubilation, and it wasn't the oh my God, we're so sad because it's over. Even they went on, you know, to the to Venesta, even they went on to the coast. It was just kind of a feeling that it's just it's it just is. Yeah. You know, we just, we're meant to be here, and it is. Of course, the enormity of the cathedral and St. James, I mean, yeah. when I went into the cathedral, yeah, that that really hit me when, you know, there you are in the presence of St. James's remains. Mm, so That's extraordinary, yeah. And I, we're running out of time. I could talk to you all day. But I loved that you wrote on the blog, Joe, there's a saying, one travels the world in search of happiness only to return home and find it waiting there all the time. So will you go back? Will I go back on the Camino? Yeah. Um, that's a good question. When I got back, I thought, no, that's it. But 
there's other Caminos to walk. I would like to do either uh, one of the others, the Portuguese or the North. Um, but I also want to do the Via France and Gina. Um, I don't think I'll be able to do it from Canterbury because I can't be gone for four or five months. Yeah. But I can do it over the Alps, I think. Yeah, I can do 800 kilometers, perhaps. So I'd like to do that one. Um, but I also want to do like the, the, some other trails, the John Muir Trail, which is, you know, here in the United States and Yosemite. And it's where you got to carry your own food and it's backpacking mm, and it's yeah. up over 10,000 feet. And there's things like that that I, I still want to do. But I would like to go back to experience a different route in on the Camino. Well, look, I think then it's kind of, it's kind of like, you know, Heraclitus, the Greek says you, you can't step in the same river twice because the river changes and you change too. Yeah. It, but it would be interesting to do the Camino Francais, you know, again, I would like to do that, but I don't know if I would like to do that over a different route. Yeah. Well, it's fascinating. And it, it, who knows what the future holds, Joe? Who That's knows? That's the truth. Hey, <laughs> but die with memories, not dreams. That's that's true, isn't it? It yeah, sure that's, is. That's look. That's that's a great a great phrase, great saying. You've been unbelievably generous with your time and spirit, and Joe, congratulations on what you've been able to achieve on the Camino de Santiago and indeed the Camino of Life. It's been an honor yes, to the have Camino of Life. Yeah, it's been <laughs> it's been an honor to have a chance to talk with you, and I hope your family and friends appreciate how lucky they are well, to have you in their lives. Well. Well, I thank you very much, Dan, for asking me. I really appreciate you know being able to uh, tell my story, <clears throat> being able to chat with you too. Yeah, yeah. Con- congratulations, Peregrino, and thank you very much for your time. Thank you, Dan. All the best, Doug. Thanks, Joe. Thank you. Buen, See you. Goodbye. Buen Camino. Bien Camino. My guest this week, Joe Williams, a pilgrim from the U.S. state of Oklahoma, a former journalist with a story to tell and a story that resonates in all of us, whether we're pilgrims on the path or pilgrims in life. I loved what he wrote on his blog, CaminoJoe.com, and this is before he stepped foot onto the Camino. He wrote, The Camino is a religious, spiritual, physical, mental, and emotional trip into letting go, taking in and sorting out, into the self. It is an adventure, a journey, and a long walk across mountain ranges through thousand-year-old towns along ancient rivers and desert steps. And I'm sure he achieved what he set out to achieve. I started quoting the famous U.S. football coach Vince Lombardi who said the man on top of the mountain didn't fall there. So life is a climb. Pilgrims know the challenges and obstacles we have to overcome to reach our destination. And I wonder if we wander, mindful of that simple fact, we have to overcome huge challenges and obstacles to reach our destination in life. Speaking to people like Joe Williams makes it just that little bit easier. Again, Joe's blog, CaminoJoe.com. Enjoy. And I'll be back next week to continue our journey together. Until then, I'm Dan Mullins, Buen Camino.